And so this is the first psalm, but it's not just the first psalm. Now, you might say, well, why is it the first psalm? It's not the oldest psalm, uh, and it's definitely not alphabetically the first psalm. So why is this the first psalm? Well, this is the psalm to introduce us to the book of Psalms. Now, we can read the psalms individually, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But as we're going through this, we're going to be seeing how the psalms themselves are actually interconnected to one another and how one leads into, the into another. Because it is a book. It is the book of psalms. It's the book of books of psalms because there's five books, but it is certainly all connected. Uh, and Dr. Barrick, he calls it the preamble to the Psalter, and that is exactly what it is, and that's why I uh, here have selected to call it the preamble, and just as subtitle, the two paths, because we're going to be talking about the two different ways to live. Now, last week, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, it's, uh, yeah, there you go, P-R-E-A-M-B-L-E. Two paths. And so, uh, as far as who wrote this, last week I mentioned that there weren't any real questions as to the canonicity of the book of Psalms, whether it belongs in the Bible. That's pretty well settled. But there are questions as to the authorship of the individual Psalms. Sometimes a liberal commentator or a Bible teacher will refer to the author of this psalm or the psalm writer, just in general. And what they're doing subtly is saying they don't believe that the biblical figure, say David, for instance, wrote the actual psalm before us. Now, I want to be clear on that. Sometimes I find myself also talking about the psalm writer, but I want to be very, very clear. I have no doubt that these psalms are written by those who, uh, who claim to have written them. David is the author here. David is the author. There's no reason to reject that. Uh, he's not, it's not just a generic psalm writer. Uh, David's name was not just attached to this later on. Jesus twice affirms David's authorship in Psalm 110. Now, there's a lot we could say about Psalm 110. There's a lot we could say about Luke chapter 20, verse 42, but let's turn there and just notice real quickly. Luke 42, or Luke 20, 42. And let me have someone read for us verses 42 through 44 there. There's a lot we can say about these verses, but... Let's just notice uh, chapter 20, verse 42, uh, going on through verse 44. Yes, thank you very much. Now, there's so much we talk about why Jesus chose that psalm. 
and what he's trying to trip up the Pharisees on. Uh, the psalm is pointing to Christ, uh, but I, I, I don't want to give into the temptation to talk about that particular psalm. We'll get there when we talk about Psalm 110, which will be eventually. But uh, notice there, verse 42, Jesus says David. Verse 44, Jesus a second time says David. Jesus believed David wrote these. And so unless you want to say, well, Jesus is just being condescending or, or whatnot, uh, I think we're left with the conclusion that Jesus believed that David wrote these psalms. And I think that we should, we should accept the same. And you say, well, why is it that David wrote these? We won't have time to go into all of these passages, but I will just throw them up there and you can come back to them later. Uh, the first one is that David is a musician. I think we did mention that last time. 1 Samuel 16 uh, uh, talks about that. We know that he played for Saul. He was also a poet. Uh, you could consider his elegy of Saul and Jonathan. That's in 2 Second Samuel, Second Samuel 1. That's after, you'll remember, it was reported to David that Saul and Jonathan fell in battle. And so he gives that beautiful, beautiful text of scripture there. Uh, he, he was a poet. He worshipped Yahweh. He worshipped Yahweh, of course. And the Holy Spirit rested upon him. And that's a many passages that we could look at there. And so, of course, David was qualified. That last point specifically is what tells us that he's qualified to give us spirit-inspired scripture. Because unless the Holy Spirit was upon him, he may have been a great poet. He may have been a great musician. But we wouldn't necessarily see those things as the word of God. The, the Holy Spirit being upon him is what makes us the word of God. And David's reminder, of course, here is to be nourished by God's word. He wants us to know that. And I can read from Proverbs 3. If you want to turn there, you can. I just have it um, on my notes here. Proverbs chapter 3, and then verse 13, and then verses 16 and 17. So I skipped down a little bit, but Proverbs 13, 3, 13, and then verses 16 and 17. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. And then we have there the, the, the switch to talk about wisdom as though wisdom is personified. As a woman, we have long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Of course, that's contrasted later in the Proverbs to the way of the harlot. And so, so we have that contrast given in Proverbs. Well, what is said there in Proverbs chapter 3, long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all of her paths are paths of peace. That is what we want in our lives, and that is something we see that comes out in this psalm. That's why this psalm encourages us to be nourished by God's word and God's word alone. And let's let's get into the into the nuts and bolts of this psalm and look at this. Verse 1, we read, "How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, 
nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Well, we have in this verse two sets of threes, two, two sets of threes in this verse. Well, what are those two sets? Well, for one set, we have terms for the unbeliever. Well, what terms are given there? What do you see? Well, those wicked sinners and scoffers. Now, that, that what you just answered is a question I haven't asked yet, but we'll, we'll save that. We'll, we'll move that answer down, and you have the right answer already. What's that? Scornful, yes, scornful. And so let's let's think about each one of these words. The first one is wicked, which means, uh, well, this refers to the unrighteous, of course, uh, those who work evil. Uh, this is someone who bears guilt before God. We, we could say a sinner, right? We could say a sinner. Uh, and sinners is the, is the next term there. Those who bear guilt before God or offend God. One thing I'll note with this, I mentioned this last week. Hebrew poetry does a lot of parallelism, repeating the same thought in different ways or repeating the same themes and concepts. And the reason for that is, well, we want to get it in. We all benefit from repetition, but that is also a way of Hebrew poetry here. And so we have wicked sinners, scoffers. These, these really are terms that parallel one another in certain ways, even though in nuance, we might say there's the, they have slightly different meanings. Uh, scoffers, for instance, those who mock, those who scorn, you said scornful in your text there, those who ridicule. And so obviously these are people who we should avoid, but if, if you're thinking about it, we who trust in God sometimes may also God forbid, but we may still sometimes engage in wickedness. We who are Christians, we who are Christians still sometimes sin. We who are Christians still might scoff about something that we shouldn't scoff about. And so what, what are we talking about? Well, we're not talking about someone who follows God, follows Yahweh, who is who trusts in Yahweh, who repents over their sin that they see and they try to live a better life. This is talking about people who are characteristically these things. Characteristically, they are wicked. Characteristically, they are sinners. Characteristically, they are scoffers. These are unbelievers. These are unbelievers and they are unrepentant in their unbelief. As such, this is a warning for believers to avoid receiving any counsel and fellowship from such ones. Because we might, we might want to receive that. And you can even see that there, the, 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 the counsel of the wicked. So the wicked gets together, they form councils. Well, yes, yes, they do. And they can even offer counsel. But we also may gather together wicked people unto us and ask for counsel. And so this is all, all of that is encompassed here. We want to avoid all of that. And now there are also, I said there are two sets of threes. There are also terms for positions with the unbeliever, and those are what you mentioned a moment ago. Walk, stand, and sit. Walk, stand, and sit. 
Yeah, and so these are ways in which we might interact. Now, really, again, these are parallel thoughts because to walk, biblically speaking, to walk is to follow after a path. To, 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 to walk a certain way is to go along with, to go along with them, uh, to, to, to have that for yourself. That's why places like Ephesians 4 says, watch carefully, therefore, how you walk. Because we have to watch how we want. Why? Because I might trip on something? Well, morally speaking, yes. We need to watch how we walk. We need to walk circumspectly. That means looking around you and, and making sure that the way you're walking is correct. This is talking about how we morally walk. And so walk, stand, sit. Yes, these are all parallel thoughts, but some have said, you know, it's almost like a slowing down, too. You, you walk with the unbeliever. And then you're standing with the unbeliever, and then you're sitting with the unbeliever. You're getting more and more comfortable, like Lot, you know, pitching his tent towards Sodom, and then he's in the city gates, and then he's in the city. <laughs> or Eve. Or Eve, yeah. She saw, you know, she saw it, she thought about it, took, you know, the longer time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And so this is definitely something that we need to watch. Now, now the, the, the verse begins, how blessed is the man. Well, wait a minute. Well, I haven't read much about blessing here. How is someone blessed in this verse? Not. Not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so this is a blessing by negation. You, you are a blessing by subtraction, we might say. We are subtracting something from our lives, the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers. Now, you're not, of course, you're in the world. You, you can't be taken out of the world. You're going to interact with people who are wicked, sinners, and scoffers, but you're not giving them the counsel. You're not, or, or excuse me, you're not receiving counsel from them. You're not walking after their ways. That, that's a huge difference. This is... When you understand that distinction, you understand what Jesus was talking about when he says being in the world, but not of the world. And so that's the, that's the separation that's given there. Now, by the way, uh, how blessed. This is the first of 25 Beatitudes in the Psalms. Now, I won't ask you to write all of this down. We won't look it all up. Although we will notice... Um, at the first two there, Psalm 1, 1, Psalm 2, 12, Psalm 1 begins and Psalm 2 ends with a beatitude. And so that forms a nice coherent thought. And we'll, we'll see a few parallels between Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 uh, as, as we move along. Um, I'll point one or two out tonight and then next week I'll come back and point a couple more out. But that it, it, it's interesting to see how the Psalms do that. And like I said a few minutes ago, this is a book that, that, that has been given to us. And so Psalm 1 is the preamble, and it moves us into the rest. And we'll see that as we move along. Now, verse 2 begins with a word, but, and that's a, that's, something to separate us out from the thoughts that we saw a moment ago. And so how blessed is the man who does not walk 
but and then we see what he should be doing. And so if verse 1 is the blessing by negation, verse 2 is the blessing uh, by uh, addition, or verse 1 is subtraction, verse 2 is addition, we could say. Rejection is not enough for blessing. One must replace bad with the good. You must replace the bad with the good. By the way, I mentioned Ephesians 4 a moment ago. That is a pattern that you see in Ephesians 4 when he says to put off the old man in Jesus Christ uh, and put on the new man. So you're not just putting off the old behaviors, you're now also putting on new behaviors. You're replacing that which you shouldn't do with what you should do. And he goes on to give a few examples there. He talks about the thief. He says, let the thief steal no more, but let him work so that he can provide with his own hands to those who might have need. So instead of stealing from others, now he's working, he's providing for himself, and now he's also giving. <laughs> so, so, so we see that putting off and putting on. And this right here is a good example of that. You're putting off the counsel of the wicked, standing in the path of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers, and you're putting on something. What are you putting on? Delight. Delight that is in the law of the Lord and meditation on his law day and night. So we see two positive aspects of blessing in this verse. First is delighting in the law of the Lord. That's the Torah Yahweh. That's the, uh, you, you've heard Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law. And then Yahweh is, is the name of God, the, the Torah of Yahweh. Um, and we're not just simply reading it, we're taking pleasure in it. Taking pleasure in the law? That doesn't make sense. But Moses says your law is delightful. It's like, it's, it's like fresh dew. It's, it, it refreshes the soul. Paul said the same thing in the New Testament. He says, the law is good. The law is good. They say, well, what, how do we interact with that as Christians? Well, we don't come under law in order to be justified, but we see in God's word that which can correct us, that which can complete us, that which can reprove us when we're wrong, that which can instruct us and admonish us to do what's right. And so when we're going through the law of God, and of course this could apply to all of Scripture, not just the first five books of the Bible, we are seeing an, an, an expansion there of God's ways so that we can then begin to adopt those as ourselves, or adopt those unto ourselves. And think about that contrast. We're putting off the way of the wicked, and we're putting on the way of God. And as we start to do that more and more, the Spirit of God who is within us should be creating a, 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 a pleasure, a, a delight for the things of God inside of us. We should start to have that happen. You know, that's something that will sometimes happen. We have, uh, for instance, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember them? They were fought, they were sad and downtrodden and Jesus appears to them and He's, and he says, why are you sad? And they say, well, have you, <laughs> yeah, where have you been? And uh, haven't you heard of the things that have transpired? And Jesus 
in a, I think in an example of, of a sense of humor says what things <laughs> and they tell him, they tell him all these things. And then he opens the scripture to him. He shows him himself for, beginning with Moses. Mo, did Moses talked about Jesus. Yep. He talked about Jesus and he goes through the rest of scripture and the disciples later testify that their hearts were burning within them. That happens. That happens sometimes. Oh, absolute. I mean, that's, I, w- I would like to see the replay on that one when we get up to glory. <laughs> I would like to sit down and maybe, I don't know if we have pads of pins or pins of, and pads of paper, but I would like to write down some of the references he was giving and just, just study that. I, I think that would be wonderful. But yeah, he, he produces that within us sometimes. Now, that doesn't mean that all the time, if, 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 you, if you lack it, you say, oh, I'm not feeling it as much today. That, that doesn't necessarily mean anything bad. And so we, we, don't, we don't rest on our feelings, but we do also recognize that encounters with God and, and, and studying scripture, it will produce sometimes within us feelings. And that's okay too. That's okay too. And there should be something within us, a delight that starts to develop especially as we begin meditating on the law of the Lord. Again, in the Torah, we're meditating on it. We're thinking about how to apply it. By the way, that is the same word that is used in chapter 2, verse 1, which says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? So devising or plot there in chapter 2, verse 1, that's actually the same word for meditating. So as the, as, the, as the unbelievers plot their vain things, we should be meditating on the scripture and creating things for ourselves in scripture. That is, we're taking scripture and we're applying it, like the Ten Commandments, for instance. We, we look at the Ten Commandments and we see how they, play, how they might play out in our lives. You know, so you know, we think about having God first, not making idols, we might start to think, okay, what are idols in my life? You know, and so we start to start to think about things like that. That is, that's plotting, if you will, that's, that's, that's imagining, that's, that's thinking through and meditating on what is right. It's definitely not like Eastern meditation where you clear your mind, you're filling your mind, you're filling your mind. And you're doing so day and night. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Someone read that for us. Joshua 1, 8. And while you're turning there, um, just like Psalm 1 is the introduction to the Psalms, Joshua is the first book that's not the Torah, that's not the first five books of the Bible. And Joshua 1 would be the introduction to the historical books. And so just with that in mind, Joshua 1.8, go ahead and read that. This book of the law shall have your heart and your mind, that you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way successful, and then you will be prosperous. Exactly, exactly. And so there we see just that introduction there. Everything everything that's come before, we need that. We need that. And we need to continue to think about it and meditate on it. Then uh, we will be successful. Then our way will be prosperous. 
All right, so back to the psalm here, Psalm chapter 1 and verse 3. He, well, who's the he there? The righteous man, the blessed man. Well, this is starting the second section here. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. And so we see a connection there with what was just read a moment ago and what was read in Proverbs chapter 3, the same thought. You say, well, why is this the second section? Well, the first section is talking about what is what makes the blessed man. The second section here uh, have the comparisons, these similes here where, where we have, he is like a tree, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff. And so, so we have the comparisons there of what they're like. And then the third section starts in verse five. But this is second section here. And we have that comparison. He's like a tree. He's like a tree. And Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 talk about something similar. I'll let you guys read that one later. But notice that this is a tree that is not in the desert, but planted by streams of waters. By the way, the if we were to translate that just a little bit more, literally there's streams of waters plural uh, which i just i think that's a neat picture right there that 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 tree is has been planted there not just planted there but transplanted there transplanted there the tree grew up somewhere else but it's been taken from where it was an arid environment, certainly in an environment without streams of water, and now it's been planted or transplanted into an area where it could be by streams of waters. And this pictures salvation. This pictures adoption right here. Because is this not true of all of us? We have all grown up in, in areas where we even if you've grown up in church, you did not know the gospel, but then one day you did. And the Lord took you from where you were morally, intellectually, uh, everything, and he has now uh, adopted you into his family. Now he has received you into his family. And this happens through Jesus Christ. And so we have this wonderful picture there. Um, what, by the way, what might the waters picture in this context? What do you think? Uh, what are the waters? Usually it's referred to as the Holy Spirit. That's right. But let's, uh, let's keep it uh, with a little bit more of a narrow focus here. Okay, rivers of water. Let's, let's. Let's think about the most immediate context here, and that's within verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be a tree firmly planted by streams of water. So God's word. Now, what you said there, who has inspired God's word? And that's the Holy Spirit. And so so the, the, the image is appropriate as, as we ex extend it on out. Uh, and the Holy Spirit also enlightens us. He, he gives us illumination on, on the text of Scripture that he inspired. But, but in the most immediate context here, we, we see that the righteous man, he is drawing life from God's word. Man doesn't live by bread alone. <laughs> and so he, he's, he's getting that from God's word. 
Now, what, what, what do we have next? We see that he yields fruit in season, which is great. That's what you would hope a tree would do. He, his leaf does not wither. It does not go out of season. Um, and so we see that he is ready in season and out of season, right? Well, how, how does a person be ready in season and out of season? Uh, we, he, he does so by sticking with the word of God. And the image is that of prospering. Now, the counsel or the way of the wicked does sometimes lead to prosperity. The Psalms even address this later on. Why does it seem like the, the, the wicked prosper? Why, why is this? But God designed the world to work in a certain way for believers, even though believers don't always have that experience of, of, of plenty. And there are reasons for that. God creates the rich. He creates the poor. He creates them all, we read. But uh, there is a general principle to be followed here because those who practice righteousness avoid many pitfalls that the unrighteous fall into regularly such as wasting money on gluttonous living, on wantonness, on, um, on whatever else, you know, that, 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 that they may be engaging in. Um, because we operate with sobriety of mind, we avoid those kinds of pitfalls. We're not going to be throwing money down the hole as it were. In fact, the wicked living can also result in or wicked living can result in consequences that will affect a person for the rest of their lives and their ability to generate any kind of wealth or prosperity and in their home, their family. Exactly. Exactly. It's something that can continue on for, for quite some time. And that's something we try to communicate in the jail ministry. We've, we've told guys about this. They, they don't always receive that message, but for you, for you, I would say we're not just talking about criminal activities. Uh, we're also talking about the, uh, things that maybe the world accepts, but uh, would also harm you or your family later on. In the King James Version of Proverbs thirteen fifteen, we read, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressors is hard. The way of transgressors is hard. And that's something that always sticks with me. Uh, the For a more modern translation, the uh, Legacy Standard Bible reads, good insight gives grace, but the way of the treacherous is unrelenting. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a life that's just unrelenting. <laughs> I want a way of peace. But Proverbs 3 talked about that. When you get wisdom, you get the way of peace. And, of course, in all this, what are we doing? We're going back to Scripture. We're seeing what Scripture has to say about all of this. And so that's what we want. We want that, that insight. We want that peace. And, and there's certainly a, a, a prosperous way that can come. Now, it's not, again, people twist it. People teaching the prosperity gospel, name it and claim it kind of stuff. That, that kind of stuff is not promised in Scripture. Some people will suffer want, 
Some people will even die, and there are many reasons why that might be. It's the, and all those reasons always end up glorifying God, every one of those reasons for, for God's glory. However, uh, as, as, as we see in Scripture, there are things that can cause us, through biblical application of, of biblical principles, we can begin to live a more prosperous life. And on the end of that, the most prosperity we will see is not even in this life. It's going to be in the life to come. And so, exactly, exactly. We can store up treasure in heaven. And of course, there are many stories of, of God blessing people who take their blessings and then give them to those in need, and then God blesses that person with even more, and that person then is giving even more to other people. Well, what do we see with the wicked? If the, if the righteous is like a tree that's firmly planted, we read the wicked are not so. And this is an emphatic statement here. They are not so. They are, the wicked are not. They are not so. And this is the same word, by the way, that's used in verse 1 for wicked, if there was any question about that. But we read they are like chaff, which the wind drives away, or as the English standard translates, chaff that is driven by the wind. And, of course, chaff is, is just that outer husk that just kind of gets carried along uh, by the wind. There's nothing to it. It's empty. It's empty. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be someone who's driven by the wind. Every wind of doctrine tossed to and fro. I, I, I don't want that to describe my life. This, this same conjunction, season verse 2, um, strong conjunction there. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff. They, they're not planted. They're not planted. They are just blown around. And so many people, if, if they honestly evaluate their lives, that is what their lives are, just blown around. Well, verse 5 starts a new section, and we read, therefore. Anytime you come across the word therefore in Scripture, you need to ask yourself, what's that therefore? All right, so this starts that new section. <laughs> and this section sums up what we have learned. And so, therefore, and there are parallels to verse 1 here. Therefore, the wicked, we read, will not stand in the judgment. That sounds a little familiar. Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The wicked and sinners, the same words. The word stand is the same one. It will not remain standing in the coming judgment. Well, if you could imagine standing before God and receiving judgment for all of your sins, uh, I, I would imagine you'd fall over. Uh, you, you, you would not be able to, to, to physically maintain yourself. You, 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 would, you would lose yourself. Now, right. Yeah, the, 
they're going to be in the judgment, but they are not going to stand. I'll give you a picture of that too. And that's in the book of John, when the soldiers come for Christ and they say, who do you, or he asks, who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am, or I am he, and they all fall over. Well, that's, that's, that's what's going to happen. And scripture tells us that every, and in the end, every knee shall bow. Well, not everyone is going to go to heaven though. Yeah, but every knee is going to bow. No one's going to be able to stand in judgment. Yeah, they're 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 not even they're not going to stand. Sure. Right. Just just as a as an image there. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Hmm. And so it's like they're going to be brought in probably on their knees before God. Oh, okay. And okay. I did not notice that. That's up. interesting. They will not be able to get up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And unless we think that it means sit. Well, they won't stand in the assembly of the righteous either. But but the word assembly or congregation is synonymous with seat. Like Like that's usually what you do. So you might think, well, then they're sitting. No, they're not going to even remain sitting there. There is going to be a divine removal, but it's going to happen after the judgment, at the separation of the sheep and the goats. And so so they are not going to remain there. And that's something to consider. Again, with the parallels of verse 1, we are tempted sometimes to follow the counsel of the wicked to stand in the path of sinners, to sit in the seat of scoffers. These are the people who are not going to last in judgment. Do we really want to be associated with them? Or do we want to be more like Israel and, when, and, and like say Korah's rebellion when Moses says, all right, y'all, stand back. <laughs> all right, I'm standing back. I'm not going to be associated with them. <laughs> you know, that, that's that, that kind of the image there. We, we want to avoid this because they will not remain uh, in the judgment. They they will they will perish and they'll go into the second death. Um, Are you talking about the stone judgment where they're being judged? Ultimately, you cannot be the judgment of the righteous because you stand in need. Right, right, and and that's where verse six takes us because because we're seeing the contrast between the wicked and the righteous. And again, this is talking about characteristically the wicked. Does the righteous sometimes do wicked things? Yes. Yes, unfortunately, that, that is the case. But thankfully, if anyone does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. <laughs> and so we have a righteousness with Christ. And that's really what creates the distinction here. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Um, he knows. Yahweh knows. Uh, let me have someone look up 2 Timothy 2.19 real fast. 2 Timothy 2.19. And first person there can read that for us.
having this bill, the Lord knows those who are his, and lets everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from this. Okay, so he knows who are his, and therefore we should abstain from wickedness. And so he knows, he knows, and there's that present here, he knows. You say, how, how, I don't know, I don't know which side I'm going to be on. He knows, he knows. In fact, in Matthew 7, one of the distinctive features of the judgment is that there are going to be people who think that they know God and they know Christ. They're going to claim that they've done all these good things in his name. But he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, and I think the message there is we can either trust in the righteousness of Christ or we can trust in the righteousness of our own works. And to those who trust in the righteousness of their own works, he's he, exactly. That's exactly what they're going to find out there. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so he knows the one way, the way of the righteous. And that is the same word that's used in the previous verse. Uh, the other way, the wicked way will perish, we read. The wicked way will perish. And so just some concluding thoughts. What are the contrasts here? Well, we have different approaches for wisdom. Uh, one embraces, one rejects it. Different results in life. A way that, uh, that, that is prosperous, that is, that is rooted, whereas the other way is, is blown about by the wind and ends in destruction. Two different destinies, one unto life, one unto death. So these are two different paths here. You can either associate with the wicked or with the righteous. You can either love God's word or you can scoff at it. You can either have your life rooted and prosper, or you can have it blown about by the wind. You can either have life or death in the Lord. Now, you might say, well, um, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure uh, because I sometimes sin. Remember, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he is the righteousness, and First Peter says that we then have a righteousness that is protected up in heaven. It's protected up in heaven. And so we need to put our faith and trust in him for that life. Now, uh, what, what time do we normally end here? When you're done. When I'm done? Okay. Well, I said that we, we might do a little singing here. And what I have here, uh, this, this is only a, like a, about a two-minute song here. Uh, this is Psalm 1. This is from the Psalter, the Book of Psalms for Worship. And this is to the tune of I Sing the Mighty Power of God. I sing the mighty power of God. You know that one? From, what's that? Uh I don't know, actually. I'd have to look that one up. I'm not sure if that is or not. Uh, but I do have some musical accompaniment. And this is going to be Psalm 1, but it is set to that tune. And so I have this turned up as loud as it goes. It's, hopefully it will be loud enough for this room.
Man is blessed who does not walk as wicked men advise, nor stand where sinners meet, nor sit where scorners pose as wise. Instead, he is the one who makes the Lord's law his delight. And in that law he meditates by day and in the night. He's like a deeply planted tree beside a water stream, which in its season bears its fruit, whose leaves stay fresh and green. In all he does, he will succeed. The wicked are not so, but they are like scattered chaff swept by the winds that blow. The wicked, therefore, will not stand when time of judgment comes. Nor will the sinners stand among assembled righteous ones. Because the Lord, the righteous, loves the path they walk, he knows. The wicked walk a different path that to destruction goes. Amen. Yeah. You can imagine what that sounds like as it was sung, like they do over in, like in Hebrew or something. Oh, yes. And it just, I don't know, the way they do that, it just sounds better than English. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And... Know that the Lord loves you. If you are if you are in Jesus Christ, He loves you because He loves His Son. In His Son, He is well pleased. And if you are in His Son, He is pleased with you as well. So let's walk not after the way of the wicked, but after the way of Christ. We're going to pray, and what I'm going to do is use Psalm one as the template for my prayer. And so let's pray, Lord, keep me, keep all of us in the path of the godly and the righteous instead of the path of sinners. Lord, guide us so that we are only following after those paths of righteousness that you have laid out for us. Help us to reject any temptation within us that would cause us to want the counsel of the wicked or the way of sinners, Lord. May we instead follow after your ways. Make your word our delight by day and by night. And Lord, we confess to you that your word is not always as delightful to us as it could be. And Lord, we also confess a weakness within us that sometimes we just simply do not understand. But Lord, we know that your ways are better than our ways. And so we pray for help where we are weak. We pray for strength and we pray that we would find all of your word and all of your ways more delightful than anything else that this world has to offer. Father, establish us and ground us in you and in your word. May we 
find our life and sustenance from your word. May we find that no matter what storms blow in our lives, no matter how cold it gets, no matter what season of life we find ourselves, we continue to prosper in you and in your word. Lord, help, uh, help us, Lord, as we do encounter the unrighteous in our lives, we pray that you would bring the unrighteous to justice in your time and in your way. Lord, those who continue to thwart your word and are causing all manner of confusion for uh, for our friends, our neighbors, our children, our grandchildren. We pray, Lord, that you would stop that and we pray that you would bring that about in your timing. Lord, we trust you in the interim. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for knowing about us, for each of us, for understanding our lives and for caring about us. We pray all this in your glorious and precious name. Amen.